All right. Good to see you guys today. It's uh, a new year, but it's the same God. And that should be some really good news that God has not changed. It is you and I who often change or drift or go a direction that is not His plan, but, uh, but it's comforting for me to know that He is the same God. And as I got to share with you a couple Sundays ago to get the year started, I talked to you a little bit about and, and gave you a challenge based on the direction of our disciplines. And I, to clarify, when I'm talking about that, that our lives tend to go in the direction of our disciplines, that specifically I'm talking about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, those, those uh, biblical uh, operatives that bring us in alignment with who God is and His character and walking with Him. And as we realign our lives and And yes, it's a new year, but it's the same God. The encouragement was to be, let's get in alignment with what God is doing and align the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of our life with biblical direction. Talked about Paul being disturbed in his spirit and and Jesus reminding us that his, his house shall be called a house of prayer. And, And so what would it look like for you and I to be people of prayer, men and women of prayer, men and women who go out and, and we see a friend, a neighbor, a, a co-worker, and we know that they are in distress, that there is need for healing, that there is a marriage in distress, that there is a loss of a loved one, and that's our opportunity. We feel disturbed in our spirit then to intervene and say, hey, Would you mind if I pray for you? See, that's a step up from just saying, we'll pray for you. The next step up is for you to actually pray for someone. But I know that that is a step that may be that you do not feel qualified to do for many reasons. But the next step for you very well could be, no, no let's just, let's take it a step further in being a witness for Jesus Christ wherever he has planted you, that your, your ministry, because here we speak about everyone having a ministry. It's not all on my shoulders. On my shoulders is to equip you to go and do ministry. But the next step, and perhaps this is the year and this is the date where you begin to be that person to take the next bold step using your mouth and your platform and what God has given you to take a next step. We saw that a couple weeks ago and on ESPN as Dan Orlovsky disturbed in his spirit as a believer and prayed on national television, which broadcast around the world. As far as I know, he still has a job at ESPN, but I'm sure probably made some people angry and frustrated. Some people who are not walking with God and are more concerned about advertising dollars. So you, you may be in the exact same position. He put his job on the line, his livelihood, what he received for an income, You being disturbed in your spirit and you being placed in a situation and circumstance may mean that your reputation and your name and your place and your place of employment may be on the line 
but you feel confident because the Holy Spirit is leading you, then that would be enough for you to begin to speak and put it all on the line because you realize that you are on mission wherever God has placed you. We don't often feel qualified, though. We don't always feel qualified to do what perhaps God is leading us to do. I, I remember feeling unqualified early on in life. I was uh, 19, I believe, at this point, and, and I was in the Air Force in the, in the United States, and, and I was basically given the keys to an airplane, an aircraft. It was a Boeing 707, and, and it had been designed to be an a in-flight gas tank. It was full of fuel. And the idea and the mission would be that that plane gets off the ground and it refuels a bomber airplane that has uh, nuclear weapons on board and then it gets to its target. And the slogan of this division of the, of the Air Force in the, in the United States was always ready. And I was challenging that immediately because to be always ready uh, they placed me on this section of the Air Force Base where you were available 24-7. You slept there. You ate there. You, you lived with the airplane. And the very first day that they dropped me off, and I'd been trained to this point, but I'd never done it. I'd been trained, though, and yet it was so intimidating to think about what they were asking me to do, to, to prepare this airplane and get it off the ground and, 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 and accomplish this mission. And, and the mindset is such that you know that millions of lives depend upon you doing your job. That's the weight that I felt. And I remember the first time they handed me the keys and they dropped me off and I went onto the airplane and I and just overwhelmed, but I explored the entire plane. It would seat like 200-some people, and I just went over the whole thing, and, I, and there I was overwhelmed. I was a new believer, and I began to pray and pray that God would help me because the deal was when you heard this horn, this horn would go off. I've shared that with you before if you've been here a while, and that horn, they would say, Klaxon, 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 to the alert force, to the alert force. Klaxon, klaxon, klaxon. And the mindset was such, you don't know if it's the real deal and we're at war or this is a practice run. And most often it was a practice run, but either way, the adrenaline is pumping and you have to get the job done. And, and so that very first day, I just spent some time in prayer that God help me because this is not what I really wanted to do. I'm, I'm kind of an ad administration type guy and they've trained me to do some kind of mechanic work and I don't even uh, know how to do that and they said no worry son we're going to teach you how to do it and they did but that still didn't give me the confidence and eventually the horn did blow and my adrenaline rushed and it was my opportunity to go and to do and and so I, I cleared everything, prepared the airplane, charged those engines. They all four started at the same time. And I buttoned it, buttoned it up, meaning I got it on board and they closed up the plane. And, and my job for that moment was over. And I was grateful. I had been able to accomplish 
what was set before me and what I was called upon to do as a job, even as a believer, and mission accomplished, but I believe that God helped me, and God gave me the confidence to pull that off, and, and that's a story that went even further because I ended up from not being much of a mechanic to being the model for the, when the inspector general came and all those things and, and getting 100% evaluations, but I say that not to brag on me, but to know that I depended upon a God who loved me and had placed me and equipped me, and to God be the glory, great things happened. I share that story with you, though, because I think it's the same way for many believers, is that you have learned so much. You've been in the classroom just as I was. You've heard, you've walked through the manuals, you know what it is you're supposed to do, you know what God is calling you to do in terms of making disciples and being the church and perhaps praying, having a boldness about you to pray for others and to be a witness and yet you're frozen and you're in prayer because God helped me because I'm just not there yet and there's some feelings of inadequacy and today on this day as we celebrate the God who is the same in a new year. I want to share with you today what I believe is an example of bringing us up from a feeling of inadequacy to accept an invitation from the King to walk with Him. I share with you this morning, beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. And then the scripture describes how that happened, that he was lame. He wasn't born that way. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So news comes of Mephibosheth's father and grandfather both being killed in battle. And in ancient days, when that were to happen to the king, that Typically what would happen that all descendants of the king would be, would be killed. They would be executed. There would be no heir to the throne. And so the nurse, the nanny, caring for Mephibosheth, uh, realizing what is about to happen, her life probably on the line as well. And, and so she picks him up and she falls, drops him, and he's injured in such a way perhaps he broke his feet, his ankles, his legs. And, and he goes from being very privileged to being a refugee and being on the run. And perhaps there's no doctor. There's no way to repair those. We don't know for sure other than he is lame and it is in both feet. And so this child goes from a privileged life where he's playing. Uh, he would have access to the very best uh, play area, the very best uh, of all conditions so all of a sudden, I'm no longer able to run and to play. And I, 
my, my legs, my feet, they don't grow back as normal. They don't heal properly. And I'm lame in both of my feet. I want you to picture this today because, he, see, he was dropped when he was five. Life went from very good. And then because his grandfather and father died, circumstances of life unfold. Bad things happen to good people innocent children, and then the result and the fallout of that. I share this with you today because just as he was dropped when he was five, I believe the reason that a lot of us feel inadequate today is because we also were dropped. And maybe that happened when you were five, and maybe it happened when you were 10 or 15 or 25 or 45. But life in a broken world unfolded upon you, and perhaps something came upon you that made you lame as well. Yeah, maybe not physically lame, but spiritually lame. That you're, you feel inadequate today to be a person of prayer to go out and be the church and be a witness or have some kind of ministry because once upon a time, somehow, somewhere in your life, through no fault of your own, you were dropped. Someone dropped you. When I was five years old, by the time I was five years old, my parents had married and divorced two times. And so within five years, all that in between, what I can remember was chaos. I don't remember a whole lot, but I remember some things, and I still have that. It's like a scar because someone dropped me. And that unfolded a lot of circumstances in my life where I ended up living in, in the U.S. It would be called public housing because it was free because that's all, as I was, was, was with my mother, that's all that could be afforded. And, but with that, a free environment comes drugs and addiction and wild, a wild atmosphere. And from that, I end up with my grandparents, thank God, and in a different environment. But what I'm trying to paint a picture for you is life begins to unfold. It's like the cards are being dealt and it begins with someone dropping me when I was five. See, sometimes the scars that we have in life, it's because of something we've done or we've participated in. We made a mistake. We made an error. We, made a, we sinned. And because of that, there are, there are consequences and there are scars in our life. And so whether you created it or is a result of your actions, or perhaps it is of no fault of your own. Something happened to you. And the result of that is shame. Shame is heavy. Shame puts us in a whole different category, in a whole different way. I, I've got glasses on today, but you see these glasses if, you, if you're walking in a place of shame, it could be exactly how you see the world today. You don't see the world 
through a lens of grace, but you see the world through a lens of shame. And I, and I talk crazy talk about you going out and praying for people and you being a witness and you being the church and you being on mission in life and you, 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 you know positionally that that's good. You see, because theology and on paper, you're not going to argue with me. I've had conversations. I don't, I don't personally know everyone in this room today just yet, but I want to. But those of you I've talked to, we would all agree positionally and be able to sing to the top of our lungs, I am a child of God. But positionally and then practically are two different things. Because you can't move from position to practice because perhaps you're operating from a place of shame. You see, as Mephibosheth ends up on, as a refugee and on the run and considered an enemy of the new king and deserving of death, and he ends up in a place called Lodabar. It means without pasture. There's no pasture. There, it is a desert place. It is dry arid, thirsty. It's a dry and thirsty land. There is no pasture. It is not easy. And it could be today that some of you, if not many of you, or all of us, someone dropped us. And we moved to a place of shame. And we're setting even today as you're absorbing the word of God and I pray experiencing the spirit of the Lord this morning in this place. That you find yourself in your own Lodabar, a dry and thirsty land where there is no pasture. And perhaps no one knows that, the, the person on your left or your right, in front of you and back of you. But the word goes forth and you're in this room and you're, you are a child of God and you're confident that your, your direction, your future is in a place called heaven and you believe he's prepared a heavenly home for you. But it, it is in the in, in between time that you're not able to walk in the fullness and the purpose of what God has for you. That you're held back and it's rooted in a place of shame. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. We continue in this story in chapter 9. Now David said in verse 1, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, <laughs> David's... David's walking in a friendship covenant. He made a covenant with his friend Jonathan. And he's sitting here after conquering the world around him and having great success. And I believe God placing upon his heart what can I do? I'm walking in covenant. I remember my friend Jonathan. 
I remember the kindness, and in spite of great victories of war, there's a, there's a tender heart at play here. That's the way God still works, the God who's still the same. Is he puts your name and your face on someone else's heart. Many of you ask for favor in your workplace. And see, you don't have to toot your own horn. But you can be a person of prayer. And God, who knows you and calls you by name, put your name on the heart of that supervisor. To place you where you need to be. For his plans and his purpose for a kingdom to come from heaven to earth. Some of you missionaries always trying to think, where, where will the next piece of support go, come from? Where, where will it go? And I'm telling you, reminding you, missionary, you can be a man or woman of prayer and experience the God of heaven who has not changed to put your name in front of someone else where they call you. <laughs> I just experienced this last week. I'm sitting down to lunch and I'm pouring out all the frustrations and all the difficulties and all the hard things. And the person across from me is smiling. And I keep going and I think, why are they smiling? There's nothing funny here. And then they go on to tell me that God weeks ago was placed upon their heart to, to give this generous gift to accomplish and meet the need exactly as I'm describing. They can't help. They can't help but smile. They've been used of God for an incredible purpose, to be generous to the things that he has already known about. That's the God that we serve. That's what it means to, to serve a God who has not changed. I'm only in verse 1. Bear with me. In verse 2, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there still not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed he is in the house of Mechur, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mechur, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. The king sent for him. Now place yourself in the, in the context of Mephesha. You know, Mr. M. He's been on the run. He's got a son of his own, Scripture tells us. He's been on the run 20 plus years. The knock finally comes to the door. And they've come for him. He knows in his mind that it would be execution time. That's, that's the way that it works. That's, that's what would be deserving. And so it would be a long ride, a long transportation time from Lodabar back to Jerusalem. 
knowing that this is the end, the king has summoned, and we're finally going to get what we deserve. We don't always get what we deserve when we walk with the king. A king who knows us by name. A king who knocks on our door. And if you may be here today, and I I hope you did not come to be entertained today because I have nothing to entertain you with. But I am sharing with you about a God in heaven who knows you by name. And he has sent a messenger today to send a messenger to you into your house that today could be the day of your salvation. You expect judgment. You've been sitting in Lodabar. You've been sitting in the midst of your shame. And I know a God who's sending a message to you today to come dine at my table. Verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Do we have a photo? I like, for, I like this for visual learners. He can't walk. He's lame in both his feet. He enters the room, bandaged perhaps, to protect his feet, using crutches or something, but finding a a king with a different kind of welcome than what he had thought about. He answered, here is your servant. In verse 7, David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather and you will eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? He sees himself as a dead dog. And I'm afraid that some of us sometimes, and we come from a place of shame, and perhaps we see ourselves as a dead dog. Yeah, you believe positionally that you're a child of God. But practically, you're not able to do what I'm asking and challenging to do as a messenger today because you see yourself as still a dead dog. That's the way he sees himself. He's he's not understanding what is unfolding here as he gets an invitation, not an execution, but an invitation from the king in verse 9. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. In verse 11, Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. 
And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. Four times, David says, you're going to eat at my table always. Like one of the king's sons, a son or a daughter. You may think for a moment, well, I read that, Pastor, and thank you for that word, but, you know, I, you know that, that's an old story. It's an old story, but it's, you, you read Scripture, you read all of these books, they're all directing us toward this new covenant relationship that we'll celebrate here at the end of this message. All pointing to a God who loves us, wants relationship with us, sends Christ to the cross for us. It's a foreshadowing. David, uh, a, a, a Christ-likeness represented here, the king, the king. You see, we're all Mephibosheth and that we are all spiritually crippled. We're all a bit lame in our feet. Romans 3.23, Paul tells us we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That just as Mephibosheth was seen as a, an enemy of the state, an enemy of the king, even though it, that wasn't what played out, but, but Paul tells us in Romans 5.10, while we were, we were enemies, that Jesus went to the cross for his enemies. And that Romans 6.23, the, the, the wages of sin is death. And just like a dead dog, yeah, we're dead in our trespasses of sin. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2. But it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of our own doing, it's a gift of God. Not a result of works that no one may boast. You see, we get what we don't deserve. It's an invitation from the king to speak into our shame and to speak into our brokenness you see we are sons and daughters of the king it's humbling and you, th you think well that, that's overwhelming it, it is overwhelming because it accomplishes what you and I could not accomplish for ourselves but the God who is the same yesterday today and forever who is still speaking and still directing and still speaking into the, the lives of lame people the Mephibosheths that may be in this room today coming from a place of shame. What does it look like to walk in shame? Shame is like this. Shame is the feeling that I'm just not good enough. Author Bren Brown in the book Daring, she said, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Shame looks like this. And that we're not good enough. Shame, <clears throat> guilt says it this way. Guilt, I've done something bad, but shame says I'm just bad. Guilt says I should not have said it that way. And shame says I'm just a jerk. 
Guilt says I should not have looked at that. And shame says I'm a dirty pervert. Guilt says I should not have taken that. And shame says I'm just a thief. Shame is having your spouse leave you for someone else. Shame is being arrested for driving under the influence. Shame is being called out in the staff meeting in front of your coworkers. Shame is losing your temper with your kids. Shame is infertility, being unable to have children. Shame is adultery. Shame is divorce. Shame is sexual immorality. Shame is filing for bankruptcy. Shame is losing your home and, or your business. Shame is having your credit or debit, or debit card decline when you're trying to pay for the group. Shame is not having a date for the school dance and never having your house clean enough. It's the lens, it can become the lens that we, we see ourselves through. We're never, we see ourselves, we're never going to be enough for our parents and never enough for our kids or our spouse or our friends. It's shame that thrives in isolation. It, it leaves us emotionally distant from those who would be closest to us. It, it causes us and allows us to be full of rage and to get mad and irritated. We're never fully present because we're always focused upon ourselves and our heart and our mind dwell on this and it tells us that this is who we really are. Positionally, child of God. Practically, mind, heart filled with shame, living in Lodabar. But perhaps hearing the invitation of the king. Come and dine at my table. And dine at my table not once, but always. Always. Forever. In this life and in the next. But shame battles for that attention. Shame continues that, to tell us that that's, that defines us. That's what what we did or what happened to us. We heard last night in this movie, I, I, would, I shared that link on my social media. Maybe we can share that on Access even. So helpful for both male and female. Because many of the people in the movie we watched last night, it was kind of documentary format, but illustrated and talked about, you know, there were a number of those people in the movie that that something was done to them. They were dropped when they were five. They were exposed to something sexually or something was done to them. They were abused. And it's something they lived with and it caused great pain in their life. And, and even as a confessing believer and still dropping the ball, still operating from a place of shame and unable to answer the call to be a disciple maker, to be a man or woman of prayer, to be someone who leads others to Christ, just unable to celebrate fully all that God has done. Their lives defined by shame. 
when there's shame present, there's a lot of energy, a lot of energy to cover up, a lot of energy to protect and not be found out. And some of you are very new here, but from day one, this is the idea has been to illustrate and to share with you a community that is very real and transparent. This is a community where it's safe to share with a friend or someone, a, a prayer partner up here. They'll be up here in a little bit. Someone that you can share, preferably male with male and female with female. And so that you can share, if there's an element of shame there, there's something somehow, some way you were dropped when you were in previous years, maybe when you were very young. Here's how you might know if shame's living in your head and your heart today, holding you back. What is that thing in your life that tells you you're not worthy and not good enough? Based on this passage of Scripture, I'm going to give you an, an image today. An image of the dinner table at, at David's house. See, the, the dinner bell would ring and the guests would know that it's the invitation to come to the table. Perhaps Solomon would leave his study and head toward David's table. There'd be some of David's family. There'd be David's mighty men. Some of them, the perfect soldiers and warriors. And they're making their way, these, these perfect folks and and also answering the dinner bell, you might hear a, a shuffle or some kind of noise as Mephibosheth makes his way to the dinner table. Perhaps with crutches and making his way to the table and coming to the table and finding at this table as he may sit or recline that there's a tablecloth and it's a tablecloth of grace covering his lame feet. <laughs> He's at the king's table upon invitation. And he's covered with a tablecloth of grace. That same king, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's faithful. And he extends the same invitation to you today. A king extending the invitation for you to come and dine at his table. Not just for today, but forever. That's the king that we know. That's the king we walk with. That's the, the king who has called me by name. Yes, I was dropped when I was five. But I kept hearing the voice of, of an invitation of a king. And he said, come down at my table. And I came and I find, found grace and the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. That's what I found. And that's what you can find here today. Perhaps these words and this passage ring true to, for you today. You come here today and there is shame. There's your own personal Lodabar, a dry and 
thirsty place. And perhaps a God who loves you would remind you today, come and dine at my table. Come and dine at my table. There's room for you. There's a place for you. We're going to transition into communion. This is the Lord's Supper. The place where the ultimate invitation is. And during this time, we're going to distribute elements in just a moment. This is open if you're here for the first time. Or you walked in here and you didn't know him. But you're feeling the spirit of the living God upon you today to surrender your life, repent of your sins, and come walk with him. This is your invitation to receive communion for the very first time. There will be no 12-week class, but there will be an invitation from the king confirmed by the Holy Spirit. If you're here today and you need to pray, sometimes it can be overwhelming. Sometimes uh, the guilt, the shame that you need counsel. We have counsel for you. Counsel in this moment through our prayer team, and we have counsel beyond that as they'll share a phone number for you to WhatsApp or message and say, help me with counseling. We can do that for you. Let's pray together a moment. Father God, I thank you today that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Perhaps, Lord, today as we've shared together, some find themselves in a place of shame today. Low to bar, perhaps. Oh, yeah, maybe positionally, they, their confession is that they walk with Christ, and yet they're haunted today. They're not free today. And, Lord, I believe you're present today to break the yoke that binds, that binds us up and keeps us bound. Lord, today, as we may consider where we are in relationship with you, would you set captives free today? Would you allow us to accept the invitation to leave Lodabar, to find our place at your table today? God, wherever these words fall today, wherever your word penetrates sharper than any two-edged sword, may God, may it find receptive hearts and minds that will say, yes, Lord, today. I want to follow you. I want to experience the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Today I'm going to invite you. If you're here today, you'd like to participate in the invitation from the king. And and you don't have these elements. Would you just slip up your hand for a moment and they'll come around and Make sure that you have these. Just slip your hand up and hold it until they place that in your hand. Once you have this, see the Apostle Paul, he said the way to do communion is that you examine yourself. Yourself. Not your neighbor, not your spouse, not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, not not anybody else. It is personal. It's a personal relationship. So as you receive this, just bow your head and enter in a time of personal reflection, of um, examining your own heart, your own mind.
where you're at with the Lord? Did, did anything strike you today that maybe you've been in a place of shame and you'd like to walk in freedom today? But I believe there's a God who does the miracles, does miracles. And he will miraculously set you free today through prayer, through laying on of hands, through, through your repentance at your seat. You can do business with God today and find him to be precious to your soul as you would leave here today. Anyone left, you need one of these, raise your hand. If not, we're going to sing for a moment. I'm going to give them a little bit of space here to sing. And I, If you need prayer, you come and pray. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. There's freedom in the house today. Let's don't quench the Spirit of God. But let's be obedient. <laughs>